What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Field Stormers, and this is the college football playoff review. We gave you a preview. We are going live, giving you a review of what we've seen on New Year's Eve. Obviously, as you see with the gear, I am an Ohio State fan. So, yes, I'm a little shaken. I'm a little disappointed. But we will get into the Ohio State versus Georgia game. Um, after we get in, we will talk. We will talk about the games in chronological order, so we will discuss the TCU versus Michigan game. Um, but before we do that, I am your host, Mo Murphy, and I have my co-host, Walker Bailey. Walker, how are you? I'm fantastic, man. I'm great. Yesterday was so much fun. It was such a great day for the sport, and anytime I get a chance to piss on Michigan, that's great. Like, Bodog Jim and his whole, you know, his whole thing. Like, I mean, he's just a clown car. Like you just were waiting on it to blow up. It blew up. Cinderella gets to go to the dance one more time. And it was a great day. And then the second game was everything that you hoped it would be like when you have those brands, like you, when you have those brands full of prospects, you just want to see everybody kind of do their thing and play at their highest potential level. And like, I think you got that. And I think that's all you can ask for in those types of games. Yeah. 100%. So before we get into it, um, I just want to make note of in, you know, I'm also the host of up in flames. So I want to make note of, we did a college football playoff. This was prior to field stormers, you know, kind of getting up and started. We did a college football playoff or we did a college football preview, um, before the season and just kind of talked all things college football and Walker himself told us, Hey, Bet TCU to win the Big 12. I love it. So Walker is an Ole Miss fan. We're going to put that in perspective. He is an Ole Miss fan, but he's been on the TCU train prior to TCU winning the game, winning the Big – or they didn't even win the Big 12, but prior to TCU, he was on TCU going into the season. So before we break down the game, I just want to ask Walker, and I I know you told me you get to shit on Michigan and you get that – have an opportunity to beat your chest. So beat your chest for a second. You tried to tell everybody about TCU prior to the game. I know. And like, and the best part is too, is like with these playoff games is you really get a month to like, just like listen and like listen to narratives for them. And so like, I really honestly thought after 12 games and the 13th game against Kansas state where, you know, and this is the part that I don't think people realize TCU's bye week was on like September the 24th. So they played 10 consecutive games, no bye week, all beat up, shorthanded, all of the above, like, and were highly competitive against every single team they played. Hell, they beat everybody they played except for Kansas State. And you could argue they got hosed in that one. So, you know, it was a never wavering thing. And then we got in here and I was just like, oh, you know, big bad Michigan. Like, they're going to step up and they're going to, they're just going to run it down their throats and they're going to bully them. And then the first play of the game happened, and those people had their moment for about 14 seconds. And then it was over. From that point yeah. on, it was over. Like, and I'll tell you, and like, and there was nothing flashy about it. It was physical domination. And I tried to tell people, like, oh, the 3 3 5, they're going to open up running lanes. No way you can stop that running game with, with three defensive linemen and three linebackers. There's just no way. Well, guess what? Michigan's on their fucking couch. And so. I, I don't know. We'll see what they have to say now. Cause like, I'm sure, I'm sure Georgia, it'll be the same. Oh no, Georgia's even better than Michigan. They're going to physically dominate. We'll see. Like, I'm just telling you, like they're going to line up and they're going to do what they do. They're one of the best coach teams in America. People don't give their coordinators enough credit. Garrett Riley gets a ton of shine just cause his brother's Lincoln Riley. But like Joe Gillespie came in and took the 111th best defense and made it a top 25 defense in one year. I mean, like, and then Sonny Dykes has done his thing. They're like, they're an absolute problem. It's, and like, I saw the line yesterday is like 13 and a half. And I was like, you know, I get it. Like, Georgia's the most talented roster in the country. And TCU's talent is probably not even relatively close. It doesn't really matter to me right now. Like, I, I guess just think it's going to be a really close game. So I've said it all year. Like, and I'll tell you now before we even really get into the national championship stuff, like, I mean, I'm going to pick them to win the game again. Like, I, like I'm going to pick them again. I like, I there's no reason to me that they're not that they can't go in and win. And I think one thing, like, I know Ohio State's loaded, and this is not to take away from Ohio State, but if Ohio State created all those explosive plays against Georgia, why well, can't CCU? Like, they yeah. got like 
got dude, like they got dudes too. Hell, the I mean, arguably one of the top two running backs in the NFL draft left for TCU in like the first quarter yesterday. Didn't even play. He was and he yeah. was like and he was really getting after it. Yeah, and and to go so to go to your point real quick before we break down the games, um, just to rock with what you've been saying is it, you know, I've had these conversations over the past 24 hours, obviously Ohio State lost, and we'll get into that. Um, but I've said TCU is built very similar to Ohio State. Now, you can argue, it's not even an argument. Max Duggan is not CJ Stroud. Like, that's period, point blank. Um, but I will say, like, the damage that Marvin Harrison Jr. did, like, why, why can't Quentin Johnston do the same thing? Like, he's a dude as well. Um, and, you know, they have the athletes now. Like I said, TCU is built like Ohio State probably to a lower level. And I'm not saying that TCU wouldn't beat Ohio State or whatever. But what I'm saying is when you look at the athletes and you look at it, they're built very similar. The game plan is going to be very similar. Just there's a couple. I really think it comes down to Max Duggan and C.J. Stroud. Like Max Duggan is not C.J. Stroud, but what he has is he has that it like just when yeah. you need him to make a play, he's going to make a play. Because if we talk about it, so we're going to go ahead and get into the game. Uh, TCU I think the most underrated thing that people continue, like that people don't really understand, is just the collective team speed that TCU possesses. Like you watch them in the Big 12 and they fly around and you're like, okay. But like they were the more athletic and physical team yesterday. Like they were flying yeah. around. It, it, like the winners at linebacker, like I was just what to say, bro. winners, you got to give D winners his credit. Um, is he? He's a junior, right? Yeah, I think so. Like he's draft eligible. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So I will say this: D winners, listen, bro. If you ever happen to come across this podcast and listen, <laughs> bro, you deserve all your flowers. You are a great player. You stepped up in the biggest moment. For your team, and you were senior. dominant. He's a senior. Like, oh, okay, so he's a senior, so he's really draft eligible. Bro, listen, D, when if there was somebody, there are two players, and we'll talk about one of them in a little bit, but there are two players who increased their draft stock, who we buy into, and basically have become fan favorites. D winners is one, and CJ Stroud is the other. Like, and, and we'll talk about CJ Stroud in a little bit when we talk about OSU versus uh, Georgia. But D winners, you did what you needed to do. Like, and I'm talking about you did what you needed to do and then some. Like, you look like you're a future game wrecker for the NFL. Like, that's what he was. The man wrecked the game. So we're going to talk about TCU versus Michigan. So obviously, TCU won. They're going to the national championship. Walker was able to beat his chest a little bit because he tried to tell us about TCU. And and I want to put it in context. Walker did not tell us that TCU was going to be a college football playoff and play for a national yeah, championship. I should have just bet him to win the national championship and gone all in. But you kind of went all in on them winning the Big 12, and I know they didn't win. So, like, as far as a future bet, you don't get to beat your chest on that. But at the same time, like, this is a team that went 12-1. and They made the Big 10 championship, and, <laughs> and, and or they made the Big 12 championship, my bad, and – they're, they were able to play for a college football playoff, but not only were they able to play, they were able to win. And so when I look at the TCU versus Michigan game, TCU was dominant basically, like you said, outside of the first 14 seconds, TCU was dominant from start to finish. Donovan Edwards comes out there, basically punches TCU in the mouth. Michigan comes out and punches TCU in the mouth. Let's just be honest. It looked like a run that we seen against, you know, Ohio State, and we're like, uh-oh. Like, you you know, outside of probably you, the rest of the country was like, uh-oh, here goes Michigan. This is what they do. And he came out, and Donovan Edwards with a big run, first play of the game, immediately punches him in the mouth. Let's see how TCU responds. TCU responds by not allowing a touchdown. TCU responds by not allowing points on the board. So when I look at this game, um, and, and I'll get to you in a second, but my biggest takeaway is everything that I thought about TCU throughout the season remains the same. Max Duggan, regardless of great performance, bad performance, because if you look at his numbers, he played shitty. Let's just be honest. He didn't play good, yeah. but yeah, no, he didn't get four. 
But at the same time, he's the type of guy that when you call his number, you need him to answer. And that's exactly what he did. Bro, if you look at his numbers, he had four touchdowns. So you're like, oh, that guy's elite. If you look at his passing numbers, you're like, oh, man, if if we separate touchdowns and we separate passing numbers, he played like trash. But in the moment when you needed Max Duggan to be elite, he was elite, bro. He answered the call, you know, uh, TCU's run game. And, and, and we'll talk about the superstar who he had one touchdown. He really could have had two if that spin move didn't essentially lose his balance. Yep. Quentin Johnston, let's just talk about him for a second. That man is a superstar. He's going to be highly touted in the NFL draft. And he's arguably, he was arguably the best receiver in college football. And there's another man who played yesterday that we could have who, where we say that's the same argument. And it was Marvin Harrison Jr. But like I said, we'll touch on those type of guys. When Harrison, we get on Harrison was better. Harrison was better this year, but like Harrison's also probably going to be the single greatest wide receiver prospect we've seen in the last decade. So like, I'm not really knocking Johnson for being a, a notch below that guy. Like, that's all right. Like, that's okay. <laughs> but yeah. I, mean, I mean, yeah, because it's a high bar, right? Like, mm-hmm. if you're like, okay, he's a notch below Harrison Jr., you're still like, this is a dude who's going to go in the first round. This is a guy who could go on to I'm the next for the Jaguars yes. next Sunday. So I'm cheering for the Jaguars next Sunday so that Quentin Johnson's still on the board when my team picks. So you I'd want rather, I would rather lose and have Quentin Johnson than win and go to the playoffs. Yeah, because, I mean, right now it seems like y'all – we're not going to get in until right now. Different, different, like podcast, different show, but just to the effect of how much I love Quentin Johnston. Like, yeah, like, I mean, he's just an athletic freak. He presents so many, he's so hard to tackle. Like, there's just, he, Michigan's corners are really good. And uh, they just did a lot of different things to get, get him open. They ran those drag routes almost borderline behind the line of scrimmage where against man coverage and those blitzes that Michigan, it was almost like watching Ohio State's defense and don't take this the wrong way, but like, they just never adjusted. Like once TCU made the initial adjustment and figured out how to score, then Michigan never adjusted. Like they just kept sending mm-hmm. the house and TCU was like, all right, cool. We're just going to keep hitting the same stuff until you decide to change, like until you decide to change your game plan. And TCU had 38 points before Michigan changed their game plan. And then TCU was like, all right, cool. You changed your game plan. Well, the guys upstairs see how we're blowing your asses off the ball. And then they handed it to, um, to Dean Mercado. And he just kind of ate. Like, I know he had the fumble and he lost the fumble, but, like, they just kind of ate. Like, they lined up and ran it straight at him. And honestly, like, I'll be honest, they punted the ball and gave it back to uh, and gave it back to Michigan. But the way they were blowing Michigan off the ball, like, I would have lined up and gone for it. Like, I would have lined up and said, you know what, my offensive line's been blowing you off the ball all game. I'm going to put – I'm going to line up and I'm going to do the little push QB sneak again that we were getting three yards with all day, and I'm just going to push Duggan for a yard, and I know my offensive line's going to push you. So I just thought it was – I, I just thought you saw the just astronomical gap in coaching staff yesterday. Like that yeah, – I think it, that's the story. It, it is crazy because, like, if we look at Michigan, like, it's like where do they go from here, right? Because I think there were a lot of questions that were unanswered and I think, you know, once we move on to the next game, I think there were a lot of questions answered um, for both sides, OSU and Georgia. But there were a lot of questions unanswered because, like, uh, Michigan made the playoffs last year, got blew off the ball against Georgia. Same thing happened against, you know, TCU. And so you're looking at Michigan. And so on the Michigan side of things, you're looking at Michigan and, like, let's just be real. The possibility is you might not have your head coach Next year, like if we're being real, like, is there a world and I'm going to ask this question. Is there a world where Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL? Yeah, 100 percent. And so that's why I say it's, just, it's a look totally this, different thing getting like getting blown off the ball and physically dominated by Georgia in your first ever trip to the playoffs. All right. Like you're like, OK, we've got to change some things going into next year. But we've learned from it. Like, we've got the experience now. We've learned from it. We're going to come back. You get your quarterback, your five-star quarterback in there, and you're like, all right, well, he's going to raise the ceiling of this team. Okay. 
and then you go and you know you play your schedule. You can play. You can only play who's in front of you, and you find you beat Ohio State again, and you get back into the playoff. Well, now you're playing TCU, and they are without question less talented than you. Just from mm-hmm. top to bottom, you know, they have some absolute apex predators, like real dudes. But, like, top to bottom, you're more talented than them. Your offensive line won the Joe Moore Award. It's, it's supposed to be the best offensive line in the country. And your defensive line's got five-star recruits across the front. It's a game that you should physically dominate and you should find a way to win. And they didn't. I And then they, and they didn't. And if you're hardball, it's like, all right something's not right. Like we're either not evaluating talent. We're not developing talent, probably some of both. I mean, the strength thing, like we're just like, we are getting physically dominated every time we get into these massive games. And the other thing is too, is Harbaugh doesn't have a damn clue how to manage those massive games. And, I mean, and you know, what's crazy is to hit on that is I think the problem in Michigan is they were so focused on how to beat Ohio State that they didn't focus on how to be able to play against basically the rest of the country. They were so focused and dialed in on winning the Big Ten and being able to beat Ohio State that, you know, with that, with beating Ohio State and being, you know, um, undefeated Big Ten champs means that you have to play the rest of the country, whether it's TCU or whether it's Georgia or Alabama, whoever it may be, like there's still a preparation. And I feel like it's on the opposite spectrum with Ohio State is I think Ohio State built a team to be able to play with the rest of the country and forgot that Michigan is trying to come and match them. And so they're worried about how they match up against everybody else making the playoffs, but they're not worried about how they match up against Michigan. And so like I think both of them are in the same predicament, just on opposite ends of the spectrum. And so now, like, my question is, if Jim Harbaugh decides to go to the NFL, which is a real possibility, let's just be honest, there's going to be multiple jobs open. We know the Colts job is open. We know he's linked to the Colts job. And it's not the same same as a typical college coach jumping to the pros. He's already been there and done it and won. Like, he's already done it. And so when you've got a guy who's already done it and won – I'm not saying it's foolproof. I'm not saying he's going to go back to the NFL and just, you know, start dominating. But I am saying, like, there is less – because there is this stigma with college coaches. And I I don't know what I was reading or listening to, but um, an NFL coach commented about, you know, these college coaches really don't have a ton of idea how to handle close games because they just don't deal with it very much in college. Like, a lot of these games aren't super close at the end. And so – Harbaugh's already been in the NFL and Mm -hmm. like with those close games every week where most games are decided by one score. And so like, there's not going to be that same stigma with, ah, we don't know if this guy can like handle the responsibilities and, you know, just the pressure of being an NFL head coach. He's already done it. So, you know, I don't know if he's going to get hired. I do know there's a bunch of interests and that a lot of people are going to call. You know, he was basically twerking for the Vikings job last year um, and didn't get it. You know, he can say what he wants about removing his name from consideration. I think where the truth really lies is that the owner probably vetoed that and didn't want like did not want to hire Jim Harbaugh. And so they went a different direction. So I think I think he's going to put his name back out there. The real issue for Michigan is I don't know where you go. Like, you're so deep into portal season. I don't know how elite of a job Michigan is now. It's a really, really good job. Like, I'm not – like, don't misunderstand. It is a really good football job. But with that being said, you're deep into portal season. You've got one portal season left. He leaves a super talented roster behind. But if Harbaugh leaves, how many guys are getting in the portal? How many assistants are you able to retain? Because you know those guys are going to be chased by other, other massive programs. Um, it's going to be a really interesting storyline to watch because we're only about two weeks away from, I guess, what do they call it in the NFL? Black Monday, uh, yeah, where they everybody gets fired. Um, we're only two weeks away, and Harbaugh's already been linked with the Colts multiple times. It's tough, and like it's more likely he decides to go now because, like, now you've been to the playoff twice, and this time you, you know, Michigan was a seven and a half point dog 
against Georgia, playing in a place where their fans were outnumbered probably two to one, not this time. You probably had more fans in the stands. You were, a, depending on where you look, a seven and a half to eight and a half point favorite. It was a game you had to win. As a program to take the next step and really be considered national title contenders year in and year out, you had to win. And they did. Yeah. And, and, and when I look at Michigan, obviously being an Ohio State fan, it's like I would love for the demise of Michigan to happen um, so we can get back to dominance because the past two years, that's not where we've been. But I'm looking at Michigan and I'm just like, there is a possibility that Jim Harbaugh leaves. And like you said, it is going to be a heavy sought after job. But the problem is the coaches, like from a Michigan standpoint, the coaches that are sought after are already hired, essentially. Like either we're looking at coordinators from the NFL that are willing to drop down to college football and basically take the job, or we're looking at guys who are left like the, the, the Brady bunch, like basically left in the pack of like, okay, they're looking for college jobs. And so you, now you're hiring the best of, I I don't, I don't want to say this to crap on, you know, these coaches, but basically you're picking the best of the worst because the top candidates have already been hired. Or you're looking at being able to lure a college coach like a Matt Campbell or whatever from their current jobs who we don't know if they have, you know, interest in moving at all anyways. And you're looking at luring a college or a candidate to be able to basically say, you know what, I'm not going to be here anymore. And I want to go to Michigan. So that's the only problem with Michigan. And then on the other side with TCU, because we'll, we'll move off this game in a second, but on the other side with TCU, like they're playing for a national championship. Sonny yeah. Dykes is not going anywhere. He's a first-year head coach <clears throat> for a national championship. And, and I'll say this, TCU could get blown out the water, and who really would care? Like, if you're committed to TCU, you're not watching this game thinking that whatever happens could sway my decision elsewhere. I don't think if TCU gets blown out the water, guys are heavily entering, entering into the transfer portal. Like, they are preparing for this game like they could win it because they don't care about who's on the other side of them. Like, it doesn't matter. You could They could have played Georgia. They could have played Ohio State. They could have played Bama. I can tell with TCU's juice, they believe they're the best team in the country. And, and they believe that. And they're going to go into the game believing that. And, and Max Duggan, you've seen how good he plays when he plays terrible. Let's just be honest. The man played terrible and had four touchdowns. So you've seen him at his worst. You've seen him, you've seen him at his best. TCU has, what, basically nine days to prepare for this game. They know their opponent now, and they get to step out there and be like, okay, we're playing Georgia over the next week. We know Sonny Dykes is going to prepare for this game, but they're a well-coached team with adequate enough athletes to be able to win the game. So before we move on to the next matchup, my only question is, where does TCU go from here? Because we've talked about Michigan and the possibility of losing their head coach and you know, we're not going to get into possibilities of if Jim Harbaugh leaves, who could be Michigan's oh, head coach. That's a, yeah, that's a show for if it happens. Like that's a Yeah, whole that's one of those. Once it happens, trust and believe we'll get on here and go live, and we will talk about the fate of Michigan basically for probably the next five to ten years because basically, I think yeah, Jim Harbaugh we'll leaves. A, we'll basically do a Michigan show if he leaves. Um, yeah, because I think if but, he leaves, we'll basically be hitting the point. I think if he leaves, we'll be hitting the point where – they go into a coaching carousel and they 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 stick with guys for the next two to three years until they f- figure it out ten years from now. But where does TCU go from here? Because they're competing for a national championship. Sonny Dykes is a first year head coach. Is it only up from here for TCU, or did he set a different standard now to where we're looking at there's a there's a measurement of success for Sonny Dykes that we expect? Did he raise the expectations at TCU in the Big Twelve right now? I think you hope – I mean, I think if you're TCU, A, like with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, like this is your opportunity to kind of lay the claim to the throne, at least initially. And I think for them it's about sustainability more than it is about going up. Because once you – let's be honest, once you get into the four-team tournament, you've got a chance. Like all you line up and you play and you're going to have a chance to win. 
what this does is it helps you recruit. You can go in now and be like, hey, Texas and Oklahoma, you know, they're leaving uh, in 2024. Like, we're the new kids on the block. Like, this is our conference now. Like, come in and, like, we're going to be a perennial playoff contender. So, you know, and I think you see that because even before yesterday, like, like go look at what TCU's been doing in the portal. Like, Al- they've got Alabama transfers coming in. They've got LSU mm-hmm. transfers coming in. All these guys coming in from all these power schools that are coming in to play at TCU because it's like, like, damn, like, A, they've got a style of play that's really fun to watch and really fun to play in. Like, that's attractive to players. Mm-hmm. Like, Yeah. And I, I'm not – it's going to sound like I'm taking a shot, but I'm really not. Like, nobody's looking at Iowa and thinking that. Nobody's being like, damn, man, that power eye. I love the way that fullback just mashes the linebacker. I think that the way that TCU plays is really attractive. I think the biggest thing for Dykes, too, is you have to find a way to retain your assistance because your staff is so good, and that's part of what makes this thing go. You don't want to start losing guys. So I think it's about you know commitment for TCU, for one, like making sure you're financially committed to your program in a way that you're sustainable. And then from the football side, it's the same thing. Like you need to raise your talent level on a year in year out basis where, you know, I think they, I saw the stat. I think they've got like 19 blue chip players, which is four or five star players. So like that has to go up because, you know, everything we know about college football is recruiting rankings don't win championships, but they certainly correlate. And so you have to raise the talent level and just continue to build and just turn it into a sustainable year in year out thing because, and they absolutely can in that conference, like they can become, you know, perennial big 12 contenders and perennial playoff contenders. And with that league, just by doing like repeating the success of what Sonny Dykes did this year. So I think that's the path. Um, you know, obviously they're not thinking about that right now. They're, <laughs> they got a little bit, something else to tackle. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that's the path. Uh, I thought yesterday, too, I thought you knew right away Michigan. I think Michigan knew they were in trouble on the opening drive. And and TCU said something, and I kind of slept on it and thought about it. I think one of their linebackers said, we knew when they called that reverse pass or the Philly special on that first drive, right then we knew we had them. Like, we knew we were the more physical dominant team because when you're dipping into bag of tricks and running trick plays and stuff, it's because you can't line straight up and move the ball against us. And so, <clears throat> you know, Michigan eventually did. They moved the ball. They scored. But, you know, think about it. Like, they ran the Philly special on the two, messed it up, ran the flea flicker, scored a touchdown on that one. But they were dipping in the bag of tricks all day long. And and I think that – and TCU talked about it in their post-game press conference. They're like, that's kind of when we knew we had them. Was they, they were dipping into their bag of tricks and – pulling all that stuff out really early in the game because like we'd been, because we'd been dominating the line of scrimmage. So it'll be interesting. Cause again, like we talked about on the preview, the step up in class from the big 12 to Michigan. Well, now we're going to do another one step up in class yeah. from Michigan to Georgia. And so we'll see how they handle it. But I really thought, I really thought that Michigan was going to be able to wear TCU down a little bit just with their size and strength. And I thought that, TCU was going to have to find a way to weather that and win the game, but it didn't really play out that way. It didn't play out that way. Yeah. And so I fully agree. Um, You know, TCU just, bro, they came to play at the end of the day. So we're going to move on and, and we're going to talk about the second game um, to cap off basically the new year's Eve night that led into basically what, right before, um, depending on where you live, basically led up into celebrating the new year. The Ohio, ball, dropped, ball, ball dropped in Atlanta is Noah Ruggles kick that ball. Yeah, and so Ohio State versus Georgia. Now, obviously, if you're an avid fan or an avid listener of Field Stormers, which is currently growing, so just make sure you subscribe, like, and love this show. But if you're an avid fan, then you know that I am an Ohio State fan. and God, 42 to 41, Georgia. So before, okay. All right, Shane, you can kiss my ass. That's what I'm going to say. You can kiss my ass. 
<laughs> so before we really get into, you know, um, the, the, the grid of things, at the end of the day, this is 42-41. Um, Georgia won. Somebody had to win. Somebody had to lose. But here's what I'm going to say, Walker, before I get your intel. There's two things I want to say. First off, Noah Ruggles missed the kick essentially to win the game, and it went wide left, right? But the whole thing that pisses me off is that there are fans, and and fans do this. It's not just Ohio State fans. There are fans that do this amongst all fan bases. But sending him death threats and telling him that he shouldn't live and this and that, that's bullshit. Like, I'm going to just go out on that. Like, yes, am I upset that Noah Ruggles didn't make the field goal 100%? Because in my mind, I'm like, bro, you got one job. I've been in a football huddle. I've been to football practice. I know what the kicker does. You spend 45 minutes, you participate in two things. You participate in conditioning for the team, and you participate in kicking field goals. While everybody else is getting beat up and all these other things, you are kicking field goals, practicing. Is 50 yards the ideal thing for him? Like, no, yes, if I could get a 35-yard field goal, I would love to. Is it a mental block when you're kicking 50-yard field goals? Like you said, Walker, yes, it could be. But at the end of the day, you have one job. And your team did everything they needed to do to put you in predicament to make a field goal that the expectation is you can't tell your head coach does not pay attention to a kicker. But every once in a while, he glances over and he sees the distance that the kicker is kicking from. And so he felt comfortable with kicking a 50-yard field goal because essentially every time every time he's glanced at the kicker, he's been able to make that field goal. So he put him in position to make Noah Ruggles make the field goal, and he didn't do it. So is it? can you blame him? 100%. But to the extent of where if we got into the nitty gritty of the game, no, we could pick apart a lot of other things that other people haven't done for you to be like, it should have never came down to that, right? But going into this game, nobody expected, besides myself, nobody expected Ohio State to even be in this game. Nobody expected this game to come back, like to come down to a game winning field goal. Nobody thought Georgia was going to even, like, nobody thought Ohio State was even going to belong on the same field as Georgia. And they did. And they lost by a point. And it comes to a game where you're like, okay, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. At the end of the day, that's what competition is. There's a winner and there's a loser. And that's exactly what this game came down to. So, Walker, before I really get into this game and my thoughts, because I have personal thoughts on this game, Ohio State and Georgia. Overall, what did you think? I don't know. Like, I felt like I felt like a, I, this sounds like such a losing mentality, but I just like I really felt like Ohio State played as well as they could have played. Like, like what else? Like what else could you have asked them to do? I mean, I have opinions. Like, I think that running the ball right there was stupid to set up a fifty-yard field goal with the success you're having moving the ball with CJ Stroud. Like. You know, who's to say they don't get another 15 there and instead of 50, you're kicking 35, like makes all the difference. But that's really like other than kind of the end of the game management, I really felt like Ryan Day kind of changed how he did things in a way. I felt like they were much, 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 much more aggressive. Um, And I felt like CJ Stroud played the best game that he's ever played in an Ohio State uniform. Like I really did. I felt like he laid everything on the line, you know, it was – his pocket presence was really clear when there were plays to be made with his legs. He made them. Uh, he found ways to get first downs. Sometimes they created touchdowns with his arm. I mean, a couple of those plays, a couple of those throws to Marvin Harrison were because CJ Stroud got out of the pocket and created time and um, gave himself the opportunity to throw those balls. So I felt like Ohio state really did everything they could have done, but I think kind of an underrated story about this one is like, we don't give nationally, and I'm not saying he should have been in New York for the New York for the Heisman, but we don't give Stetson Bennett enough enough credit. Like mm-hmm. the guy, the guy was down 14 in the fourth to a, a fellow Heisman contender who was playing the absolute game of his life, and he just found a way to win. Like there's something to be said for that. 
you know, he throws the 76 yard touchdown, which I mean, I know coverage bust, but still got to throw it and catch it and score gets the ball back. Like legitimately in the situation of all situations where it's like, Hey, like, Hey man, like we need eight points to go up six. Like, like we need to, or we need, uh, or we need seven points to take the lead. They were down six. Sorry. Um, we're down six in the playoff game. Two minutes left. Need you to go score. Marches. Like not even yeah. like, like, like it wasn't even a contested drive. Like they were like having to slow themselves down because they were just absolutely moving. And then he throws and he said it after the game, he throws the touchdown pass before the kid even comes out of his break, puts it right on the back pylon and the kid scores. Like there's something to be said for a dude who knows how to win. And for everything CJ Stroud did last night, like I thought he was just equally brilliant. I know he threw the interception, but he finished the game with like four four total touchdowns, and I think uh, I think well over four hundred total yards or three hundred total yards. Like I just thought he was magnificent. Like, and that's kind of like I just like I think we underrate him because he's kind of a goofy looking dude who sounds funny. Yeah, and says a bunch of goofy stuff and plays in an offense that's not particularly just exciting to watch and doesn't put up massive numbers, but the guy's a winner. And I know he's surrounded by an all-star team, but someone's still got to take the snap, make the throws, and march that thing down the field and lead a team. So I thought, like, I don't think that that's going to be a huge part of the story uh, from last night's game. I think a lot of it's going to be about the end of the game stuff, and um, a lot of it's going to be about Ohio State. But I do think that he deserves a lot of credit for when the game was on the line, stepping up and being cognizant of what the moment was and just handling business and finding a way to get it done. He's now 28 and three as a starter. And I don't think that's a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. 100%. And so now you gave me the mic and I'm going to go on my rant um, before we close this out. So I, I put it like this. I think two people had a lot to prove last night and I know you disagree on one of them, but I feel like both people proved that they are adequate at what they do. CJ Stroud had to drop his nuggets on the table, and and, and I'm going to say this, and excuse me for anybody who doesn't think, C.J. Stroud had to drop his dick on the table, and he did it. We question whether he's a willing runner, did that. We question whether he could come up in big moments, did that. We question whether the moment was too big for him, answered that. He did literally everything that you could ask of CJ Stroud to win the game. Like if we're talking about the best performer of the night, like of the day from yesterday outside of Bryce young in a game that doesn't matter. It was CJ Stroud. Like the man literally did everything. Every question that you had was answered last night. Now, obviously the only question you could ask is he's heading to the NFL more than likely. Obviously. I mean, he has, excuse me. He hasn't said that he's declaring for the NFL draft, but we all know he's going to the NFL draft, especially after last night. He's not coming back to Ohio State. Let's just be honest. That was never in the question going into the season. We knew he was a draft prospect, but after last night, there's no way he doesn't go to the NFL because people fell in love with him. And and non-Buckeyes fans fell in love with C.J. Stroud, and they're like, that man did everything. So he did everything he needed to do, but I also think so did Ryan Day. And I know you disagree with me, and I feel I know you feel like he folded, essentially being up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. There's moments where you feel like he didn't make the right calls or whatever, but everybody's kind of killing him for like, okay, well, instead of a 50-yard field goal, we could have had a 40 or a 30. And you, you, you hinted towards it, right? Like you probably could have threw the ball, Got another 15 yards and set yourself up for a 35-yard field goal. But at the same time, I look at even if you want to kill Ryan Day for the last, the negligence of the last minute, bro, for what, 59 minutes of the game, Ryan Day coached elite. Like, his coaching was in question, and it was his play calling was in question, and it wasn't about win or lose for this team it was about how do you how are you going to respond in big moments when you get punched in your mouth how are you going to respond and Ryan Day put his team for 59 minutes even if we want to talk about his last minute of play calling for 59 minutes he put his team in position to win the game 
And so after we lost to Michigan, some people like to say that I put, you know, Ryan Day, I put him on the hot seat for next year. I said, you know, after we lost to Michigan, I said, Ryan Day is going to be coaching. He's going to be in the hot seat, but all eyes are going to be on Ryan Day next year for the simple fact, the lack of being able to beat Michigan. But not this year. Like, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, once we snuck in the playoffs, too, I'm like, he has a second opportunity. He has an opportunity to show Ohio State fans that he's the guy for the job. Nothing yesterday tells me that Ryan Day is not the guy for the job. Or I'll put it like this. What he did yesterday, at the very least, it tells me there ain't a better option than Ryan Day to be the Ohio State coach and take this talent and be able to compete for a national championship again next year like we did this year. And I know he's been to three playoffs, and I know he's been to a national championship, and he was literally a point away from competing in another national championship. To me, the the expectation for Ohio State is that in anybody outside of Ohio State, if they had the resume that Ryan Day had, and you tell me we made it to a national championship, and you tell that team that they were a point away from competing for another national championship, oh, that coach's job is secured for 10 years. But for Ryan Day, for some odd reason, everybody wants to fire him and get rid of him and this and that. And I'm like, this is the guy. Like, at the end of the day, would I rather not lose to Michigan 100%, but how our seasons have gone, bro, I love Ryan Day. What do you think about Ryan Day? I don't know. I just felt like he co- I felt like he coached and he talked about it all week. You know, no, I'm going to like step it up. Like I'm going to be more aggressive. Like this is going to be who I am. I have to change like and I felt like well one props to him it takes a ton of self-awareness to recognize when you're a big part of the problem. And he fi- and he fixed a lot of that stuff. Until there was 54 seconds left and then he almost like shelled up and clammed up and like I don't know, man. Like, you've got a guy that's going to be in probably a lot of conversations to go 1-1 over the next few months. And will he? Probably not. But he'll be a top-five pick. And, like, you almost – you took the ball out of his hands. Like, on like you took the ball out of his hands there. You know, you clammed up and thought, okay, we've done enough. And so – I'm just going to settle. Like, I'm good right here. And you and he got conservative. I don't want to take any more chances. Well, in the end, like, and we don't know. We don't know. Maybe C.J. Stroud throws an incomplete pass and they kick a 50-yarder anyway. But if that's the case, at least you can go down and be like, I shot my best bullet. I can be like, you can be like, all right, man. Like, my quarterback, I gave him a chance. They covered it up. There was nothing there with his legs. He made the smart decision and threw it away. That's it. Like, I'm good. Like, I shot my best bullet. If my kicker misses this, I can live with it. But you willingly ran it into a defense that you had not been able to run on for the majority of the night and wasted a play, wasted a timeout, and wasted time. And I just, like, to me, that's the type of stuff that burns you as a coach, and that's the type of stuff where fans, and the fans, let's be honest, they they mean more now than anything because – if you lose the support of the fans, you know, they stop donating to the NIL collectives. They stop doing all this other stuff. And it, that can legitimately influence the, or that can legitimately influence the competitiveness of the program. And so for me, like with Ohio state, that's what I would be mad about is we went out and not giving CJ Stroud the chance to go make one more play. And I'm of the opinion that if you give Noah Ruggles a 35 to 40 yard kick instead of a 50 yard kick, I think we're doing a different show, but that's just, that's just my thoughts. Like I thought he clammed up in the last minute with the game on the line. And, and I just like, that's where I would be angry. Like that's what I would be mad about. I'd be, and quite frankly, I'd be pissed. I'd probably be tweeting a lot of really bad things. Well, for me, here's my thing. And, you know, I'm more optimistic than really most, especially when it comes to Ohio State, is if I look at Ryan Day and I'm looking to get rid of him, I'm looking at the options. And it's like there's a lot of Ohio State fans that are like, you know, um, there's not better out there. And that's my problem is there's not better than Ryan Day out there. And maybe he goes on in a couple years or a year or whatever and becomes a great offensive coordinator, but I'm looking at 
if we let go of Ryan Day, then you lose some recruit commitments, you lose some things, and so you're basically resetting if you don't replace with an adequate guy. And at the end of the day, like a head coach creates relationships with players, right? In recruiting, this isn't the NFL where like, okay, if we get a new head coach, we can attack free agency. Yes, the transfer portal can be considered that, but at the same time, like you you lose recruits because there are some recruits who committed to Ryan Day in the Ohio State Buckeyes, not just the brand of Ohio State, but they recruit. I mean, look at the I'm not, fire. I'm not saying fire him. I'm not at all. Like I don't think he should be. No, fired. I know you're not saying that. I, like I like I understand. I'm talking about to the Ohio State fans that want Ryan Day fired or who were speaking for him to be fired prior to this game. Like I think he showed you that he's good enough to do what you got to do with the talent that you have. Like at the end of the day, you lost 42 to 41 against the best team in the country. Somebody had to win. Somebody had to lose. And even if you're like, he clammed up in the last minute and didn't go balls out for 59 minutes, he did. And so it's like to think that with the talent level that you got coming back with the talent level that you recruited for next year, like you can't think that Ohio state is not on the up or have an opportunity to win the big 10. Like don't look at what Michigan has done. And don't look at what Ohio State has done and be like, oh, hell, this is the next 10 years of existence. It could be. Maybe this is the next 10 years of dominance for Michigan. But they have questions themselves after yesterday, and these are still the two cream of the crop. Don't let Matt Rule being hired to Nebraska scare you. Don't let James Franklin at Penn State scare you. Don't let any of these guys that got jobs scare you. Like, Ohio State is still the cream of the crop. The only thing is maybe Michigan caught up. But if Jim Harbaugh leaves and goes to the NFL, then Ohio State is right back at the cream of the crop. And I know, like, okay, the expectation will be to win the Big Ten, go undefeated or whatever. And then, like, you want to see how you fare up to SEC teams. But sometimes, like, they fared up against the best team in the country. You can't look at that game and be like, Ohio State was missing anything. At the end of the day, I think the one thing you could probably say is maybe if JSM was healthy enough to play, maybe they win that game. If if Marvin Harrison Jr. didn't go out, then maybe they were good enough to win that game. Maybe if Cade Stover didn't get hurt, they were good enough to win the game. But the adequate talent that you had on the roster going into the game was good enough to beat Georgia. But at the end of the day, somebody has to win. Somebody has to lose. Georgia was the winner. Ohio State was the loser. But I'm not walking away in like, yes, it's disappointing. And I'm I'm of the person where like, I'd rather get blown out and know that I just didn't belong on the field with that team than lose a close game and know that I could pick one, two, three, four, or five plays and be like, this is where we could have won the game. But at the end of the day, like, I feel like the two people with the most pressure stepped up. And, and you could pick them apart. You're going to pick C.J. Stroud apart because he didn't complete every pass. You could compete, right? You you can pick Ryan Day apart because at the end of the day, he didn't make every right play call. But the two guys with the most pressure, Ryan Day and C.J. Stroud, I feel like stepped up. And I feel like as an Ohio State fan, you have to love Ryan Day again if you unloved them. I think you got to fall back in love with him. And I think if you're an NFL scout, you've fallen back in love with C.J. Stroud because he answered every question that you had while sitting there with your clipboard watching the game. Now you're like, okay, the only question that you have about C.J. Stroud from here on out is can I get that guy that showed up last night consistently? I mean, I think that's a question that's so hard to answer, like, I mean, I hope so. Like, I would hope now that he kind of saw it and he did it. Like, you'd think, all right, like when you go in the NFL and every game is a big game, you would hope that every game you can find a way to play that way. But, I mean, I think it's a question, too, that NFL – like, I mean, people are going to be, like, fired or promoted based on the answer to that question. Yeah. Like, 100%. Like, there are people's careers that are going to, like, hinder on whether or not that question can be answered. So I'm not going to pretend to have the answer. I hope so. 
because when he does, it's really, really fun to watch and it's really enjoyable to watch. And if my team loses, then maybe I can unlock that myself. Like we'll see. But um, I, I don't know. I mean, people are going to get hired and fi- or promoted and fired based on whether or not CJ Stroud is going to be that guy or the one that we saw in the other, you know, four big games he played where he didn't know show, but he just wasn't that dude. Like he was regular. He was normal. And he was really good on the statistic end, but in the moments where like those and like my moment, guy, like the people with eyes who watched the game, yeah. were like were like you knew, like you just knew. And and if we know, then the NFL people definitely know. And so I like, I mean, I think that when you watch the Georgia game, like you obviously saw something different. And listen, I said it on the last episode on the preview. I was like, and we'll talk about this more, like we'll get into draft stuff kind of once the season's really wrapped up mm-hmm. but you know i felt like i said on the preview a lot of cj stroud's draft stock questions can be answered against georgia and i can't say that and then be like oh you know i'm still like i'm just not there like i mean i am like i think the physical talent's all there that we already knew all that and we've now seen him really lay it all on the line and find a way to be elite and put his team on his back in the large in the biggest moments. Like he, there was nothing else he could have done. Like he could not have done anything else. He didn't turn the ball over. He didn't take a stupid sack late in the game or something like that. Like there's nothing else he could have done. Nothing else he could have done. You know, he didn't slide 10 yards short because he wanted he didn't want to get hit or something like that. Like he fought for every possible yard within the realm of responsibility and being smart. And they just didn't like they and they just came up one point short. So I don't blame him at all for that. He answered a lot of questions for me last night about just his. I call, I think I called it testicular fortitude um, on the last episode, and I just you know he laid it all out there. Um, you know, Ohio State's offense not- noticeably took a hit when Marvin Harrison Jr. went down. I think when I think when some of those other receivers basically moved up in the corner rotation, where like instead of seeing C cornerback three, they're seeing cornerback two. I think it was pretty noticeable that some of those guys just were having trouble getting open. And so, you know, and I think that's why Stroud's legs took over a lot late in the game is because Georgia basically went, all right, we're going to bring some extra pressure and we're going to play man to man because we can stop these guys. Like the little slant route that Harrison Jr. ate all ate on all night and killed uh, Kaylee Ringo with all night. You know they throw that to I think they threw that to Johnson or something like that and it gets broken up like it's not there anymore. So I think that's something too like to pay attention to maybe because like Harrison Jr.'s back next year so you won't really, won't really have to worry about it. But you know you got to have more than one dude. So yeah. I, I thought Fleming was okay. I thought Ibuka had made a bunch of plays. Um, but once Harrison Jr. went out, the offense kind of took a noticeable hit, and it was even really a lot more of a load on Stroud's shoulders. Um, I thought Stover's absence was noticeable too. The backup tight end got Stroud murked one time. Like, lucky he didn't fumble and turn it over inside the five. Yeah, when he got hit from behind. Yep. Yeah, he was supposed to. He was supposed to chip him and then release, and he didn't chip. He just gave him a free run at his backside, and so and Stroud didn't feel it. And just got crushed, like got got absolutely crushed. Yeah, um, that was supposed to be one of those. Like it was like you almost applaud CJ Stroud for not fumbling the ball because I know, we were, and, yeah, like or, and you would like him, you would like him to feel that, but like that dude was coming so hard off the edge there. I don't know that there was a whole lot he could have done. Like so, but again, like that's where you missed over because if you have your starter in there, he probably gets the call, and instead of just releasing, he chips and releases, and. uh you know, Stroud gets the either gets the ball off or at least has time to feel the pressure because it was a DB that came off the edge. And if a tight end gets a good chip on a DB, it's giving you an extra second and a half to two seconds. So yeah. I thought, you know, I thought that some of the injury absences were noticeable. I mean, I'm not saying it cost him the game, but I thought it was noticeable. Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, you just look at the stats. I mean, they got outscored 18-3 to since Marvin Harrison went down. And I'm not of the believer that, I, I'm okay with them pulling the target ball. It wasn't targeting. It's football. At the end of the day, it was just a good football play. And, and the DB made a good play, and he happened to get hit in the head. That's what happens when you play football. Like, that's the possibility. You could take a shot to the head. 
So I'm not upset about, you know, there's a lot of fans who are like, oh, that should have been a target. It should have never been picked back up. And it's like, bro, it's football at the end of the day. And if anybody knows me, they know I'm opposed to the targeting call as far as how far we go. Like, because we're getting to a point where it's like, shit, you know, we're not playing football anymore. Like, they're they're, like if the TCU targeting had been called yesterday, I was going to start slinging shit around the room. The game was over. It had no impact on the game. The play was an illegal forward pass to begin with because Donovan Edwards threw the ball across the line of scrimmage, like which that didn't get called. Like if we had called the targeting there on TCU where Michigan gets a first down around the 50 and basically has a chance to go and win that game, like, and I understand that situation can't dictate the rule, but like he hit him in the back or the back right below the neck and the play was over. Like and this is football at the end of the day. Like, this is a physical sport. And I, I listen, being an Ohio State fan, would I love to have been able to keep the targeting call? Yes, because it changes the game. But as far as just being a person that's just analyzing the sport of football and wanting to protect the physicalness of football, bro, I'm glad they picked it up. Like, at the end of the day, I'm okay with them picking it up. Sometimes your team will benefit from calls. Sometimes they won't. But the integrity of the sport in protecting the sport of football is what I really give a damn about. And so for them picking it up, like, bro, he didn't drop his head and hit him helmet to helmet. Like, bro, he had an opportunity to lay Marvin Harrison Jr. out, and that's exactly what the hell he did. He laid Marvin Harrison Jr.'s ass out. And it's and he, the only play you can okay. make there. Like, he led with his shoulder and was like, damn, like, if I don't hit this guy really, really hard, this is going to be a touchdown. Yeah, and so that's why I'm okay with, like, yes, had they kept the targeting call, it would have benefited my team, and I would have loved it. But what I'm sa- but at the, in the same token, the integrity of the game is this is a physical sport. You wear a helmet to protect your head because you could take a headshot. And as long as he didn't drop his head and hit he him helmet leave, to helmet he with the clown with the helmet, head, like, yeah, yeah, then it happens. Like, at the end of the day, that's why you wear a helmet. Because if that was if if that hit wasn't a possibility, then everybody would be running around with shoulder pads and no helmets. But because he didn't leave with the crown of his crown of his helmet, and he and he gave him the shot, and it, it is what it is. He hit him with a shoulder. He knocked him out the game. It changed the game. But I'm okay with that because that's football, and and it was a football play. It wasn't dirty. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't a crown of the helmet leading. So I'm okay with that. And so some people aren't. Some people are like, oh, they called it targeting. They should have kept it targeting. They call it targeting to protect themselves. Like as referees, they call it initially. And that's why targeting is reviewed because I call it targeting initially, but I'm able to go back and review it because maybe it wasn't malicious as it looked at in real time. And so I'm okay with that play. And so before we close out, I just want to say this, Walker, I'm, Damn proud of Ohio State. I think Ohio State played absolutely amazing. I think the college football playoffs, maybe for the first time, literally gave us the four best teams in the college football playoff. I think we literally got the two best games we could possibly get. 42-41 and 51-45 is a hell of an outcome on a New Year's Eve for a college football playoffs. So before we close out, just overall, in, in a nutshell, how did you feel about the college football playoffs? Oh, I mean, it was the best one we've ever had, for one. Um, I think if there was any doubt that we got the right four teams, that was completely and totally removed. Um, you know, I was really – I was – you know, I'm an Ole Miss fan, so I view things a little bit differently than, you know, a lot of, like, Ohio State fans or Georgia fans or even Michigan fans. Like, like TCU's win, I think – was a lot more just from a national perspective than people realize. Like, I think that it's a step towards getting rid of some of that helmet bias where Mm. now maybe we won't, you know, maybe every time that a non blue blood is in the running for that playoff spot, maybe now it won't be so instinctual to, you know, just discount them and just assume that they can't play with, with the blue bloods. Cause like, Everybody in the country knows what they watched yesterday. 
Um, you know, I've seen a lot of Michigan fans crying about officiating. They can suck my dick. Um, <laughs> they listen, like everybody knows what they watched yesterday. And I'm hoping that maybe it'll take, take a step forward. So, and whether it's, and it doesn't even matter about conference, like whether it's a Utah out of the pac 12 or some non power SEC team or some non power big 10 team. Um, I just like, I hope that TCU's win helps take a step towards removing that Um, because there's good football played a lot of different places and there's a lot of really good players, a lot of different places. You don't have to be a blue blood to win a lot of games. And now with the portal and NIL, I think TCU's just the first example. Like, you know, we got a bunch of, they had a bunch of returning players. They brought in 14 transfer portal additions. Um, and lost and lost arguably one of the five best running backs in the country in the transfer portal and and still found a way like i just like i think i think it's something that poor, more people need to pay attention to um it illustrates how quickly a program can turn around um tc went five and seven last year they fired gary patterson hired a new coach and brought in 14 transfers and they're now I guess they're now 13 and one, um, 13 and one mm-hmm. and play for a national championship on Monday night against another blue blood. Like they took down one and now they get another chance. Like it's very rare that you say like, Oh, like a team has a free shot when in a game of this magnitude, if they lose almost like, so what? Yeah. Like, they're, in, they're in a loop. They're, they're in a win-win situation. And that's why. And like, that's why, and that's honestly, and I think, and we'll kind of talk later, privately but i think like we'll probably do something else looking at the national championship before monday and just i think that's what makes them so dangerous like they legitimately believe in that locker room that they're the best football team in the country and that they're more talented than everybody else as they should and for some reason like and i don't get it (laughs) but people keep doing this thing where it's like they're not very good like the opponent, like, and it sucks. I feel bad for teams that play TCU because, like, national media and fans and all this stuff are just like pinning shit on their bulletin board. And, like, if you're Michigan, you're just like, damn, like, like, quit motivating our opponents for us. Like, mm-hmm. stop doing that. And, like, they're going to do it all week again. Like, it's the, it's the largest spread in national championship history, which, by the way, the two previous largest national championship spreads were 12 and 11 back in the early 2000s, and both those teams lost. Just saying. Yeah, um, and, and I think I think TCU to say it would be negligent of me to think that <laughs> that showed up yesterday would be a team that couldn't win the national championship. Like it would no, be like, you want, like we've seen it now for fourteen games. Like what makes people think they're just going to lay a dud and get blown out now? Like if you're like at this point, it's people that are dying on hills and just can't like can't let go of it. Like, that's what it is. Like, people are just like, nah, nah, I still don't believe it. Like, I've heard, oh, luckiest team in the country. Like, take, like, luckiest team in the – what was lucky about yesterday? They lost their best – they lost uh, lost their second best offensive player in the first quarter and still found a way to win. They I had would two, love to be the luckiest Their two turnovers shouldn't have even really happened. They but I would love to be the luckiest life. team in the country and play for a national championship. Like, give me that any day of the week. I'll take it like if I'm like like people continue to make excuses for why TCU is is or isn't what they believe they are at this point if you don't believe in them like you're just never going to they could win the national championship and then we'll have the article posted by the next morning why they're the worst national champion of all time despite I don't give a damn I will take that title of being the worst I would dude I would trade a lot of things to be the worst national champion I'll take that all time and you can discuss in any article, and you could critique me as the worst national champion of all time, but guess what? 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, I still will be the national yep. champion, and you could constantly have the conversation about and be, and, and the best part is, of all time, but I'm a national champion. I know, and the best part is, too, there will be nothing legitimate to it. Like, there'll be nothing like it'll be like all right like you build michigan and georgia as the best two teams in the country if they win they came up into the playoff and they wrecked your two best teams in the country came in here neutral site didn't play close to home it's not like georgia where georgia got to play in atlanta it's not like that they played in phoenix and now they're yeah. playing in la as a team from texas 
having to go back to back weeks to the West Coast. I don't want to hear all that. Like, it's just, you know, if you're looking at this point, if people are looking for reasons to doubt why they can compete with Georgia at, at this level on this stage, like, and I'll tell you another thing look at how loose they played yesterday. There was never a moment where they came in and felt nervous or tense. And I'll tell you who did feel nervous or tense, and you could tell, was J.J. McCarthy. I mean, like, he could have thrown six or seven yesterday. Yeah. Like, had multiple dropped interceptions and a couple more throws, where when you watch the replay, the decision was holy, like, what are you doing? I mean, like, I just just think that with all that on the line, you know they're going to come motivated. And you know that they're going to come loose and ready to roll. They found a way to do it for every game. And I know it's a whole lot different when the whole thing is on the line. But, like, they came loose in all their big regular season games. They came loose in the Big 12 championship game. I know they lost, but they came in loose and ready to roll. Playoff game with basically every non-Blue Blood school in the country on your back. Came in loose and ready to play and played their best game of the season. Like, I've got no reason to believe they're not going to show up. Yeah, 100%. So. I think, you know, we'll, um, this was our college football playoff review and we will give you a national championship preview, um, later in the week. Obviously the game is played next Monday, January 9th. I think the kickoff is at 715 Eastern. I think it's technically listed at like seven central time, but like if if you're a college football person, like, and I did, and I made the mistake yesterday, like. I think that's technically it's you know it's it's you're right it's six thirty central so make sure just be in your seat at like six fifty and the game will probably be close to kicking off. Yeah, one hundred percent. So I appreciate everybody for tuning in, listening on another episode of Field Stormers. If you watched it live, I appreciate you. Um, if you're gonna listen to this later on, uh, when we drop this probably later tonight or tomorrow, I also appreciate you as well. Let's help keep Field Stormers growing. Make sure you subscribe to us at on Substack, make sure you continue to support and listen. Um, the off season is going to bring great things. This is the first year, you know, we're in year one, um, you know, of field stormers and we got a lot of great things coming. Hopefully we get some players on to be able to talk to them in the off season. There's going to be a lot of things coming for field stormers. So I appreciate everybody for tuning in listening. And on that note, we will catch you for the national championship preview later on in the week.